Are you willing to put aside all speculation and announce to the people here that you are not running in 2020? No. Overall, wages are down. People are working longer hours for less money. Obamacare is illegal immigrants. Uh, African Americans uh, being mistreated in society. Noting that world leaders laughed at President Trump. Trade war. You know what it is? My new slogan. America great. Thanks for joining us for another episode of 2020 Vision, the United States Study Center's regular dose of presidential politics as we edge closer to the 2020 US election. I'm Drew Sheldrick, and this week we return from the Easter break for a special Mueller Report-focused episode following its public, though heavily redacted, release on Thursday. I'm joined this week by a guest with years of experience on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., who will be able to tell us whether this is the end or just the beginning of investigations into the president's conduct and what Democrats and 2020 candidates are likely to do next. First, let's hear some of the reaction to the public release of the Mueller report last week. I want you to know the, uh, today the Mueller report was released. And uh, till this morning, no one knew what was in this thing. We hadn't read it. Congress hadn't read it. And evidently Bill Barr hadn't read it either. Because there's some insane in here. Painting a devastating picture of a White House and a presidency beset by chaos and prevarication. He said, and this is a quote in the Mueller report, this is the end of my presidency. I'm, and then he used the, the F word. Yeah. I'm effed. Right. Today, an angry President Trump called the statements made about him in the quote, crazy Mueller report, fabricated and totally untrue and quote, total BS, although he didn't say BS. That report makes very clear that this White House and this president and none of us uh, got in their way, never, never interfered, never um, refused to comply with the request. I'm running for president now. I don't think that we should defeat Donald Trump through impeachment. The House should initiate impeachment proceedings against the president of the United States. Signed, Elizabeth Warren. This isn't about politics. This isn't even specifically about Donald Trump himself. It is about what a president of the United States should be able to do and what the role of Congress is in saying, no, a president does not get to come in and stop an investigation about a foreign power that attacked this country or an investigation about his own wrongdoing. Bruce Wolpe was a congressional advisor to the Democratic Party during President Obama's first term and served as chief of staff to former Australian Prime Minister Julia Gillard. He's also a non-resident senior fellow at the United States Study Centre and a regular media commentator on US politics here in Australia. Bruce, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be back here. A fortnight ago, the White House and the President seemed vindicated by Attorney General William Barr's uh, summary of the Mueller report. Uh, Trump seemed to do a victory lap on Twitter and around the country. Fast forward two weeks later and the President seems angrier than ever at the existence of this report. So what's caused this relapse? Uh, he lapped himself and he is angry. Right. Uh, as the report has sunk in, first he was very much heartened by the letter from the Attorney General and how it was initially presented and on the key headline issues. And there were two that Robert Mueller was looking at. Was there a, cons a criminal conspiracy by the Trump campaign with the Russians to influence the election? And was there obstruction of justice in, looking, in investigating those issues? And on both those headlines, 
underlying issues, the uh, report concluded there was no criminal conspiracy and they could not definitively establish obstruction of justice. And that those headlines are great news for President Trump. Yeah. He immediately claimed exoneration and no culpability and no collusion and so forth. But as the report has sunk in, and then it was released last week, and as the report has sunk in and people just kind of absorb it and you sit with it for a few days, uh, th- that's where the anger begins. And the anger begins on both sides. Uh, as far as the president is concerned, he's angry that uh, I'm the subject of this for two years and a hostile media that's after me and wants to take me down, and that he had to endure all that to get to a result that is this positive on those headline issues. And then for the Democrats, there's anger that, um, one, uh, there sh- shouldn't have there been more concern about the degree of uh, involvement. The, the Russians engaged in pervasive interference in the election. And where's the outrage on that? And then on obstruction of justice, uh, there are a series of breadcrumbs which uh, lead to a big pile of evidence that, in fact, steps were taken to frustrate the investigation, but they were not criminal enough. It did not reach a criminal level as far as Mueller's jurisdiction was concerned. So there's anger about, well, what are we going to do to make this president accountable, and can we do that? So that's where the anger is from, and that what that means is a supercharged environment still persisting after two years of this that's going to go through the northern summer, we'll get to hearings that Congress will do, and into the 2020 presidential campaign. We'll focus on the Democratic response in a moment, but I wanted to ask a little bit about the parts of the report that have energized them so much that you just mentioned. So while Mueller found no concern conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russia. Uh, The detailing of attempts to obstruct the investigation certainly painted a a less than pretty picture of the White House, didn't it? It did. And that's another reason why Trump is angry. I mean, the curtains have been drawn back and the Wizard of Oz is uh, at the controls. And it shows a White House that is incredibly dysfunctional, uh, where um, his uh, personality is dominant. I mean, all presidents do. uh, But where uh, things are just not working right and that uh, Trump is uh, directing staff to do very strange things that they push back against. And so to have all that out in the public domain uh, is very frustrating to him, and that is is why he is angry. As far as the Democrats are concerned, uh, they're looking at this. They have long felt that the way Trump that Trump is unfit for office, many of the Democrats feel this way, and that the way he acts and what he does presents a case of at least for uh, extensive forensic investigation and whether the president is actually following the law in the way he does his duties. With the exception of perhaps Mitt Romney, uh, who said he was sickened by Mueller's conclusions, we haven't heard much from Republicans on the public release of the report. Do you expect that many of them share Romney's view or, you know, are they, are they perhaps frightened of retribution if they if they speak out? I think a lot do feel privately that, uh, uh, and they're unwilling to express themselves publicly, which gets to the larger issue of Trump's control over the Republican Party and his right. dominance. I mean, he engaged in a hostile takeover of the Republican Party in 2016, and he is still the owner and operator of the Republican Party. And if you are a Republican candidate and you have the temerity to differ with Trump in a a near-seeking office, he'll find a primary candidate on his side and take you out. And so that's there. And the the, the silence has been the largest uh, component of the Republican reaction. And Mitch McConnell essentially says, this report's done and dusted. It's over. Let's just get on with business. And that's kind of where they want it. Uh, But at the same time, you haven't seen a lot of defense of Trump and how he acts and his uh, comportment and so forth. And I think a lot of people are just not 
proud about it. But they're all in now. I mean, the time for challenging him first was in the primaries themselves. And secondly, a little bit earlier in the term to assert themselves, that did not happen. They're, they're, I believe the Republicans are extremely happy with the conservative agenda of smaller government tax cuts and especially conservative judge, uh, judges and appointments throughout the government. And uh, th- that is sufficient enough for their uh, objectives uh, that they are living with this. And they, they know that they are now the, – the, the election next year is just a real test of um, whether this formula is successful. But uh, as I said, they're all in and they're not going to bail out of this ship. Let's talk democratic tactics now. It's over to the democratic-controlled House committees uh, at the moment, isn't it? So what, what's their likely next move? Well, to, to get back to the question of impeachment and all the pressures for it, if the democratic base hates Trump and they want him out. Many members, many, many democratic members of the caucus hate Trump and want him out. If you if you put them all in a room and blindfolded them and <laughs> said, could you push the button which says get rid of Trump, they would <laughs> they'd want to push the Certainly. button. That's right. <laughs> so that's where they are. But then you have to think about um, how you uh, – what is the – in the absence of a clear answer, if, if Mueller had said the president obstructed justice, I think we'd be in impeachment hearings like today. Right. He didn't say that. So then what is the process by which you can resolve these pressures? And then you have the base inside the caucus and you have the Democratic leadership. The base wants accountability. The Democratic leadership wants accountability but also wants some higher political objectives uh, beating Trump at the, in the election in 2020 with uh, a great candidate. The country, it, it, there's no clear signal across the country that the country is clamoring for impeachment. It's not like Richard Nixon. No. In 1974, uh, but, but half the country is very concerned, and they want some accountability too. The others uh, don't, and say get, we send you to Washington to run things and mm-hmm. govern. So you know, pay attention to that and do your jobs, and the rest will take care of itself. So the search then by Nancy Pelosi and Jerry Nadler, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and Elijah Cummings, chairman of Oversight, and Adam Schiff, chairman of Intelligence, is let's find a process by which we can work through this. And there was a conference call a couple days ago uh, with um, all the members of the House Democratic Caucus on these issues. And ultimately what was resolved was we're going to have a process where each of the committee does the forensic important work of oversight, which they are charged to do. And when they when they go through that and they complete the evidence, then you can look at it and say, well, what does this evidence lead us to and what is our responsibility under the Constitution to hold the executive to account? So that process is underway. As far as the Judiciary Committee is concerned, which has jurisdiction over impeachment, the um, they will hear first from Barr. They will then hear from Robert Mueller, and I think that will be really pivotal in one way. I'll come back to that, and they'll hear from Don McGahn, who was counsel to the president. Right. And it's the Mueller testimony that's going to be, I think, just pivotal. Is that that definitely going ahead? Do we know Uh, at this stage? uh, There's every expectation that it will. I see no reason why it won't. And uh, and it should. And if it if, if it doesn't happen, I think people are going to get angry. Yeah. So let's just fast forward to Mueller appearing before the committee. I think the key question that's going to be asked of him, among many, is based on this evidence against uh, that was generated on an obstruction of justice issue. If he was not the president of the United States, if he was somebody else, would is that evidence sufficient to bring an indictment? If he answers yes, then the question is, oh my god, that's an oh my god moment. Well, we have someone who otherwise would be indicted. So what do we 
You can't indict him under Justice Department guidelines. So what are we as the House of Representatives supposed to do with that? So I think that's a very serious issue. Secondly, if Don McGahn uh, testifies, and there's a question on that, uh, he has been subpoenaed, but whether the White House fights the subpoena and asserts executive privilege is another matter. But it, when he gets up there, people are likening it to the moment when John Dean testified against uh, Nixon in 1973, in which he outlined the activities inside the Oval Office. And that was the most damning part of how Trump operates in the Mueller report. So you'll have that live before Congress, not just reading it in a report, and that will help form an assessment. So all these things are going to filter through and settle in the minds and hearts and psyches of uh, the Democrats in the House, and then they will decide what to do. I still think that impeachment is unlikely uh, because of the political consequences, and they are too. Again, the country, not wild for it. Secondly, the last impeachment was Bill Clinton in late 1998, yeah. and Republicans brought it over the Monica Lewinsky affair. I think the Lewinsky affair was a much less moment than anything that we're seeing here. But the point is, it was seen as raw politics, and it backfired against the Republicans who brought the impeachment case. Yes. And so I think Democrats, with the presidency at stake, control the House at stake, a chance to get the Senate to go through a process which puts their political control in jeopardy in the 2020 election, that is a very sobering thought. So this is all the factors that are being weighed by the Democrats as they do this. I uh, also just want to say, I think Nancy Pelosi is showing her great skill and experience in doing this. A lot of people say, you have a, it's been a fractious caucus, you know, she can't get control, and this, that, and the other. She's just shown leadership from the day of the election, how she confronted Trump in the shutdown of the government, and in managing the um, uh, very raw voices inside the Democratic yes, caucus yep. right now. Yep. And she lets them play out. And But she also knows... When the Democrats won the House and the 40 seats, those 40 seats didn't come from uh, Bronx, New York. They came from suburban seats outside major cities in the country held sure. by Republicans. Yeah. And those 40 are moderate Democrats. They're not radicals. And so you move too far to the left, and then this brings in implications for who the nominee is, then are they in jeopardy in winning re-election too? So these are all the factors that are being weighed as uh, the leadership figures out collectively what to do. You mentioned the I word. Uh, we've seen it reemerge in the past few days uh, with 2020 presidential candidates Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris advocating for Congress to take steps towards impeachment. It seemed like this was off the table just a couple of weeks ago with Democrats. So uh, how likely is it at this stage that there's going to be enough support to start proceedings? Uh, I mean, given what you've just mentioned about the conflicting interests and um, within the party and the leadership. Well, there will be pressure and, and I, I, there will be pressure and it really depends. Well, is there anyone by the time we reach uh, a year from now, uh, and will there be an, an apparent candidate a year from now, and will that candidate have endorsed impeachment, and therefore will they ask for some action even as yeah. late as 2020? I was going to say it's going to be too late by then, surely, by you know, uh, halfway Washington, through Washington, nothing is ever too late. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you hit the deadline, and you go right through it, and the yeah. government shuts down, and then we'll fund you later. Yeah, right. So um, nothing is ever too late. But it, let's say it's Elizabeth Warren who, be, who looks like in, in October this year, the rising star and will be the nominee. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not going to happen because we haven't had any primaries by this October. But yeah. that will inform sentiment in the caucus. And, and, and because she said, I support impeachment, every candidate's going to be asked, well, where do you stand on impeachment? And, uh, and I think because the base that votes 
generally is so active and and so um, uh, t- seized with this issue, I think there's a chance that a majority of the presidential candidates will say, I'm sorry, I think we should be impeachment because that kind of person should not serve as president. And then that will have an effect in the echo chamber of the House caucus. So it is complicated. It is very emotional. It is hypersensitive. And it's going to get hotter. Bruce, if the president isn't impeached over an issue like this, how much harder is it for future Congresses to initiate uh, impeachment proceedings uh, for misconduct in office, just given what we know from the Mueller report now? It's a really interesting question, and I think the answer is it does make it really hard. I mean, a lot of people are saying, how does Trump get away with all this? Why isn't he held accountable? How do you bring him to justice? And if you can't do it now when it's occurring in plain sight, (laughs) yeah, so what's going on? When will you ever have the backbone to be able to do it. Uh, But sometimes institutions have to go through searing experiences to reach a new consensus. And so I think this will, uh, just as we can't return to the world that existed on the day before Trump was elected, we uh, hopefully will not return to the world that exists on the day he leaves office and we get into a different standard. But the the real answer to the question is, when does the hyper-partisanship in America end and what does it take to end it? And I don't know the answer to that question, but I know it is urgently needed. Uh, We're likely to see uh, former Vice President Joe Biden enter the race uh, formally this week. Do you see him as uh, one potential candidate that might be an advocate of of impeachment? I don't know. And uh, his announcement speech will be later this week as as we're talking now live in Sydney. And, uh, And I think he will talk about the standards that a president should have. And I think he knows those standards from the president he served with. And I think he wants to paint a picture of, can't we do better as a country and a a, a call back to first principles? And so now that may lead him to say, yeah, I think President Trump should be impeached. But I'm not sure. It'll be very interesting. But again, because it's out there, every candidate is going to have to be accountable on that question. Uh, I think Biden, uh, we've discussed this before. When you have an unpopular president, you always think about, uh, and uh, Trump is an unpopular or troubled president. Trump is a troubled president. George W. Bush was a troubled presidency. Richard Nixon, of course, a very troubled presidency. And then you look, well, who is effective against them? And so who was the anti-candidate, the anti-incumbent that the people turned to after a troubled presidency? With Nixon, it was Carter, uh, who was a a Southern conservative religious governor. And uh, he looked, he didn't look like, anything like Nixon. With George W. Bush, it was Obama after the Iraq war and uh, how ultimately that government failed to deliver domestically and internationally. And Obama looked nothing like Bush. And so who doesn't look anyone like anything like Trump? And so a person of color who has been in government, who understands that it works, not a billionaire. And so then you look, and that's why Kamala Harris can suddenly be very attractive and younger. And that's why maybe uh, Jay Inslee, governor of Washington, could be very attractive. That's why Cory Booker could be very attractive. And so th- th- I think that is a factor in the back of people's minds as they assess candidates. I don't like where I am now. So where do we want the country to be? And then who embodies that best? For Democrats, the most impo- there are two important issues. Where do you stand on issues? And can you defeat Trump? 
the ideal candidate will be a fusion of both those factors. But if it's if it comes to someone who's not, I don't necessarily agree with, they're, maybe they're more conservative than I want to be or they're more progressive than I want to be, but I believe my heart of hearts they can take Trump out, that's the person I'll be for. What's the risk here for Democrats if the American public sees them expending too much political capital on committee investigations or impeachment proceedings against the president? Because I imagine they're torn between their supporters, as you mentioned, who see um, the president... Um, wanting to see the president play a political price sooner rather than later, and those that who want Democrats to spend their time on more substantive policy, policy issues like healthcare or the economy, for instance. That's why it has to be high-value investigations, and uh, they have to be really authoritative. They have to be mature exercises. That's where the seniority of the chairs comes into play. If you just recall Michael Cohen's hearing and before Chairman Elijah Cummings, people were saying, wow, that was a really um, uh, worthwhile exercise in, in oversight. And if that standard uh, pres- uh, continues, then I think they'll do fine. But if it, do, if it just degenerates into raw, ugly politics, uh, and I think, I think the um, overkill case was really against Hillary Clinton and Benghazi and oh, you know, yeah, what happened. Yeah. Yes, there were issues there, but to pursue her like that for years. Yeah. Uh, and was it, it, was it a 12-hour hearing? How long uh, was that? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a 12-hour hearing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think the Democrats know enough not to go down that road. But they're going to have to. That's why the issue will be okay. After we hold these hearings, then we look at what have we, what has been produced, and what do we have to assess, and then we'll make a judgment. Putting aside what we know from the Mueller report for the moment, um, I want to end with a question about what you think is better for American democracy. Um, whether it's better to have a president defeated at the ballot box uh, than by political act um, like impeachment, it can't be health, healthy for civil society. I guess to go through something as divisive as that, can it? Uh, no. It, 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 it's very – it really hurts. Uh, but there was a cauterizing effect in Nixon's resignation. But it was cauterizing because uh, a majority of Republicans came to the conclusion that he couldn't stay in office either. He was never impeached. He was facing impeachment in the House. It was clear where it was going to go and so he resigned. Uh, and, and I think uh, the absence of any bipartisan support for impeachment – really uh, colors the whole conversation and the conclusions that are reached. So the true true engagement with Trump and Trumpism and the future of the country is in the election. And by all, that's where it should be played out. And that will provide provide the most decisive result. And it's, it's political in the least political terms. As always, Bruce, really appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Drew. Thanks also this week to the Babamara Brass Band, Lloyd Rogers and Ketzer for their musical contributions and to the University of Sydney's Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences for their studio assistance. 